Now, I personally don't like the finger sticks, so they hurt a little bit. And after a while, if you're doing this for years, you're going to be sticking your finger thousands and thousands of times. Even if you just do it, let's say, three or four times a day, well, that's 1,300 a year. If you're doing this for 20 years, well, that's almost 30,000 finger sticks in your fingers. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. I hope you are having a great week. I am having a fun week for sure here, still on Royal Caribbean's Enchantment of the Seas. This is a 12-night cruise, so the past episode and this episode were both recorded here on board. We're in day eight now of the cruise. We have Four more days to go after today, and then the following morning we'll be back in Baltimore. I've had a real good time with my eating and walking and just enjoying myself here with my wife on the cruise ship. There's been a whole lot of good entertainment, great music, musicians, singers, dancers. They have a few production shows. They have, I don't know, different things like jugglers and magicians as well. But all in all, the entertainment's been great so far. We still have a few more shows to go. But we're having a good time. Uh, the weather's been really nice, breezy, sunny, in the low 80s pretty much every day after we got south of Florida. So it should be great weather for the next, I'm going to say three days. But the last day will probably be back in the 60s again, so we have to get used to that. Back in Baltimore now today, it's only in the high 40s. We'll experience that when we get back there. But I haven't had any problem getting my protein this time because I have brought the shakes and the Quest protein bars, and uh, those are real good. I also want to tell you about something I've had this week. I ordered it off of Amazon. They're the Quest peanut butter cups. Now, they are, for two of the peanut butter cups, they are... 200 calories, almost 20 grams of protein, a little bit of carbohydrates, not much carbohydrates at all. They do have the sugar alcohol and they have fiber. So as far as net carbs, they're very low, maybe one gram of sugar. And so it's a good treat. Now I, I have those maybe every third day. So I have a Quest protein bar as a snack or after lunch. And then I'll have a peanut butter cups on the days that I don't have those. So it's been fun. It's been yummy food that I brought with me. A very good food here in the ship. I've been getting different types of meats and veg and things that are good for me. And of course, my espresso cappuccino coffee in the morning up in the Diamond Lounge. I think that is one of the best benefits of being loyal to Royal for me is that the coffee machine up in the diamond lounge because of course it does you know grind the beans right before it makes the espresso so it's very fresh very good they go through a bag of beans every three or four hours so it's always fresh uh, and it's only maybe 
two, three, four hours since the time they even opened the bag of beans until you're making coffee. So you can't beat it. To me, it's just very tasty and I can have it every day and I don't want to overdo it, of course, but I really like it. Yeah, good week here on board Enchantment of the Seas with a few more days to go. For my numbers this week, I have managed to close my rings seven out of seven days. Like I say, I'm getting in good walks here on the cruise ship, lots and lots of stairs. Some days I checked and my Apple Watch recorded me doing 19 flights of stairs. Usually, without hesitation, I'll go up two, sometimes three flights, and down two, three, or four flights without even thinking about it. Unintentionally, I've been doing a lot of stair walking in addition to my regular walks. Some of my walks have been outside on the islands. I was able to walk on the ship, even though it's docked here, because on a few of the days we had excursions. And so those take up three hours out of the middle of the day. And I don't walk around town as much as I do ride a bus around the island. So today we're on St. Kitts, and it was another excursion day. So as soon as I'm done recording this, I'll get up on deck and walk around. And I find that enjoyable too, because it's a great view. You're docked right up against the island, and of course you get great views of the ocean or of the island wherever you're walking on deck. So it's a fun time for me to do that. So good walks all week long. My glucose has been a super fabulous. A seven-day average, 24-hour, seven-day average glucose reading has been 94. That equates to an A1C if it were extended out for three months. That would equate to an A1C of 4.8, 4.9, which is down into the optimal range. The chart I have only goes down to 4, so it's the far cry from the 11s that I used to get just a couple years ago. So I will happily accept an A1C of 4.9 any day of the week. Now for the body fat percentage, I don't know. I have not stepped on a scale now for about 9 days. I have no measurement to give you for my body fat percentage can tell you that my clothes are continuing to be a little bit looser. So could I have lost a pound or so on this uh, past week in the cruise ship? Yeah, I think that's probably the case. That's typically what happens to me while I'm cruising is I actually will lose about a pound per week because, well, now especially with the Manjaro, but I don't have much snacking or anything like that on the cruise ship. Although food's here all the time and everywhere, and maybe that's one of the reasons I'm not attracted to it is because it's just here everywhere. It's not like I'm feeling deprived or restricted in any way. Not with food on a cruise ship, that's for sure. So the macros this week, I did average over the last seven days, I averaged 67 grams of carbohydrate. And that's right about where I have my uh, my goal set at. And 126 grams of protein, which uh, that's great. That hasn't happened on a cruise ship in forever. And again, it's this time I brought my protein shakes. I have one of those per day and that gives me 30 grams. And then I have either a bar or one of those peanut butter cups, and that's 20 grams. I'm supplementing, on average, about 50 grams of protein every day. And I am going out of my way to make sure I'm getting enough meat and things like that to bring it up to that average of 126 grams of protein. And that's more than you might have. That's more than you might need. I go for the higher protein because... Although I don't do as much strength training as I should, I do get in the protein to at least help myself to avoid losing muscle. Because at 126 grams of protein on average, I am helping myself avoid muscle loss. Although 
you say, I really do need to add in that strength training to get the maximum benefit of eating that extra protein. For my Manjaro update this week, I did take my second dose while on board here at 7.5 milligram level. So now that's nine full weeks of using Manjaro. That's my 10th dose. Now I had the four doses at 2.5 milligrams, four doses at 5 milligrams, and each one of those doses is a week apart. And this was my second at 7.5. So nine full weeks, taking now my 10th dose. And I really have to tell you, these, especially now at these 7.5 milligram doses, my hunger is gone. I'm going to call it complete hunger suppression. I just don't really get hungry. In fact, there's sometimes when I, even though I haven't eaten anything in several hours, I still feel full and I am encouraging myself to eat. I want to make sure I get in enough protein and I do have to get in some fat and carbohydrates as well. So I do need to eat. I've been eating unless you want to count my cappuccino as a meal, I've been eating twice a day, plus a little protein snack in the evening. And the shakes and the bars are certainly helping because they're compact and fairly dense sources of protein, so I don't have to eat a huge volume. Last night we had chicken parmesan, and it was Italian night. And it was a fairly good piece of chicken, a nice-sized piece of chicken, maybe six ounces, maybe seven ounces. And I had to struggle to finish it, but I did finish it because... It was very tasty, and I wanted to get in the, the nutrition. I was full, so that's a little bit of a struggle. I've had very good A1C control, like I reported this week. My seven-day average was 94, and you can't beat that. That's great. I did have, I noticed it this time, and I think I remember noticing it last time with this 7.5 milligram, about 24 hours after I took the medication, I did feel a little bit of nausea. Not a lot, nothing that kept me from eating or nothing that made me feel like I had to run to the bathroom or anything. Other people have reported this, and now I think I have finally at this 7.5 milligram dose experienced that a little bit. Now, it seemed to only last for a few hours, just very few hours, and it was like come and go, fairly light, and it's gone. So it certainly doesn't last all the time. Now, I don't have a weight update this week. I usually like to give you a weight update with my Manjaro update because I know folks are interested in that. But uh, of course, now I'm on board the cruise ship. I've been here for a little bit more than a week, so I have not stepped on a scale. Clothing does seem to be a little looser. That's probably in my head. I doubt I've lost more than a pound in the last eight or nine days, but we'll see when we're back on land. And before the next episode, I will have weighed in again. So, my challenge, and this is my challenge whether I'm on board ship or not, it continues to be a recurring theme with me. My challenge is varying my movement. And as I just reported, my workouts this week have been all walks. I really have to figure out a better way to get myself interested. I know I should be doing it because that's the intelligent thing to do, so my brain knows I should be doing it. As each day rolls around, I find myself not doing it, and that's getting in strength training. I really need to do that. So I don't have a win for that challenge this week. It's something that I'm still working through. When I was in the CrossFit community, 
back in Maryland before all this retirement travel. And I was getting there, I don't know, five days a week and loving it. I had no problem whatsoever getting my movement. So I'm not totally unfamiliar with it. It's just right now, I'm honestly having a difficult time getting that in as part of my day. I almost wish I didn't like my walks outside so much because that's where I spend my time when I'm moving. All right, let's take a look at the news. This first article, and it's a, a sciency article, like I like to say, it's entitled Identification of a Previously Unknown Function of Adipose Tissue in Insulin Secretion. So adipose tissue is fat. Most of you know that. Adipose tissue is fat. And it's saying here that they have uncovered a new function of fat in releasing insulin. So what they found here is something called extracellular vesicles, that the body fat cells use those, and that signals the pancreas to release more insulin. Now, this is an article that you might want to really investigate and read over uh, several times, because it is a little dense, but it is new research, so that is very exciting. What it's saying is that if these extracellular vesicles originated from healthy fat cells, as if you had normal weight, the insulin secretion was only slightly altered. However, if these extracellular vesicles from obese tissue, so in other words, a large amount, then it actually transferred proteins and nucleic acids to the pancreas, where it greatly increases the release of insulin. So they're thinking that, and again, read this article yourself, it's a little dense, but what I found interesting is that they're saying that this increased release of insulin, so having a high level of insulin in your system, can impact what we call insulin resistance or insulin insensitivity. So the fat cells are actually behaving differently on an obese person as they are in a person with a normal, a healthy amount of fat. Exciting article, exciting research, but definitely I would say one here that you need to read up on. It does link to the actual study itself, and I'm not even going to try and read the study itself. The title, it's, I'll try it, Adipocyte-derived extracellular vesicles increase insulin secretion through transport of insulinotropic protein cargo. Wow. Anyway, that was in Nature Communications of this year, 2023, and they do link to the full article. And it seems exciting. I'm not sure I understand all of it, but it does seem to point to a difference between what healthy fat cells do and what obese fat cells do with regards to insulin production and extreme insulin production in the pancreas. Wow, it's a heavy one, but it's interesting. Now, this other one here is a little easier to go through. It's entitled, Women and Men Shown to Have Different Risk Factors for Type 2 Diabetes. Now, that's not shocking, I'd say, because type 2 diabetes involves the insulin hormone, and men and women certainly have different hormones. And what they say here is that while waist circumference was a strong independent predictor of diabetes in women, they can also show that it's linked to the reduced production of 
a protein produced by the fat tissue that can protect against cell stress. So that's for women. That is that measure of the abdominal waist circumference can be a strong predictor. In men, what they're saying is that one of the significant indicators or risk factors is if men reduce their physical activity and therefore reduce their muscle mass, that is a significant indicator of going on to develop type 2 diabetes. With women, what they're saying is that the, one of the biggest indicators is an increasing waist circumference or abdominal obesity. That increasing waist circumference is a big indicator of developing type 2 diabetes. So again, with men, it has to do with the amount of muscle mass and not necessarily the amount of abdominal fat. But with women, muscle mass is not as big of a indicator as is this the circumference of the waist itself, which a waist becomes larger because of abdominal obesity. So I think that's interesting. Men and women, different hormones, different indicators for what might show them going on to develop type 2 diabetes. So again, another interesting article here. They have cool charts. They link to the uh, studies itself. But I thought that was interesting. This third article, not sciencey really at all. It's uh, some common sense. It's called What to Do When Your Diabetes Medication Isn't Working. Most people, when they've been diagnosed with either prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, they're initially put on metformin. Now, not everybody, but most people. Now, medications can stop working, according to this article, because your body changes. Your weight, your obesity level can change. Your amount of insulin resistance can change. And therefore, a medication that might have been working for you when you were initially diagnosed, maybe your disease had not progressed, maybe it was just on the borderline of becoming an issue for you, that particular medication, let's say metformin, for example, might have worked. But it could be that years later, and maybe during those years you did or did not meticulously follow your treatment plan, your eating plan, your movement plan, you know, your lifestyle might have changed. That could be something that, you know, might also cause your medication to not work as well as it did before. Now, so here in this article, they recommend talking to your healthcare provider. Now, normally you find out your medication isn't working by doing blood work, which, you know, is in your doctor's office. So your doctor should know. But what they're saying here is that typically if the A1C goes up by more than 1.5, so let's say it was 6.5 and it goes up to 8 or something like that, then that's generally the warning signal for when something has to change or something else has to be done. And it's not uncommon to add a second medication or to change medications or to double down on lifestyle changes. We all know some of these recent medications really make it um, possible to follow through on a lot of these lifestyle changes. Me, for example, I find it so much easier to not overeat when I'm not hungry. So that's a side effect of this Manjaro that I'm taking now. They also go on to say that, you know, bariatric surgery can also be an option because, again, with surgery, you tend to eat a whole lot less and it does fix people with type 2 diabetes because just like these GLP-1 inhibitors, when you're not overeating, you tend to lose fat and when you're losing fat, that tends to positively 
impact your type 2 diabetes. Good reason to talk to your doctor. If you find your original medication is no longer working for you, that is definitely something that you should have a discussion about. All right, this last one here, this seems we went from very sciencey to more light articles. This last one is called 14 Alternatives to Eggs for a Protein-Rich Breakfast. Now, I have to admit that for myself, when I eat breakfast, it's typically eggs and bacon. Those are about, I don't know, 50-50 on protein and fat. Eggs and bacon don't have any carbohydrates in them. So, you know, if an egg has five or six grams of fat, it's also going to have five or six grams of protein. Now, these other sources that they're going to list here don't have maybe quite as much protein per serving, but they're pretty darn close. So a lot of these items they list here, and I'll read out a few of them, but a lot of these items they list have five, six grams of protein per serving. So they're calling that high protein. Your mileage may vary. It depends on what you need to take in. You might need to eat quite a bit of these. For example, oatmeal here. It says that oatmeal has five grams of protein, which is only a little bit less than an egg. An egg has six. A half cup serving of oatmeal contains those five grams of protein. Dairy. It says here cheese. It also lists cottage cheese. I'm not sure why it lists cottage cheese separately from dairy, but it does. But these types of things have a lot of protein and in them, actually. A glass of milk, maybe you have to realize, of course, milk has sugar in it. This article is really for any type of food that has some protein in it, even if it might also have a lot of carbs. So they go on to list things like seeds, certain grains, tree nuts like cashews and walnuts and pecans and almonds. So those all have protein. Now, tree nuts maybe average five or six grams of protein per quarter cup, but a quarter cup of nuts is easily a couple hundred calories. So you sort of have to watch out for that. So an egg might have 90 calories in it for six grams of protein, whereas nuts might have 200 calories or 250 calories, depending on what type you have. They got great fats. They have a lot of things going for them. So there's nothing wrong with nuts. Keep in mind what you're getting here in addition to the protein. They go on to list peanut butter, beans, and I found out myself, while I typically don't have them for breakfast, rice and beans, while having tons of carbohydrates, really do not impact my blood sugar levels. And I think that's because of all the fiber that's in there as well. So they go on to list things like tofu or tempeh, which is just another type of tofu, um, lentils, all kinds of things, even fish. And of course, you might have had salmon on top of a bagel, but fish, they're even saying here, or chicken. Now, I'm not sure that a fried chicken biscuit might be the healthiest thing, but they listed here in the article. So buyer beware, read the article, look at these options, and just realize that you don't always have to have just bacon and eggs for your breakfast. All right, so let's get into the main topic for today. Now, as I said last week, I wanted to talk about wearing this continuous glucose monitor, this CGM. Now, do I need to wear this CGM? I've been wearing one now for about 21, 20 or 21 months. And I have one on constantly. Only a couple times was I traveling away from the house where one would stop working or get knocked off accidentally. 
when I didn't have a backup with me. And so that was only even then a few days of a break from wearing a CGM. But generally speaking, I'm wearing one constantly for the last 20 months. Now, why do I wear it? Data. I really am a data guy. I like to have information. I think information helps us make smart decisions. And that's why you wear a continuous glucose monitor. It gives you, the one I'm wearing right now, gives you a reading every 15 minutes. The new Libre Freestyle 3 monitors that I'm moving to here in a couple weeks, those actually give you a reading every minute. Now, that could be overkill. But for me, having this data always available, it shows me the real truth. There's no way to hide it. And I publish my CGM readings every single day into my Instagram stories and my Facebook stories. So if you want to see what my blood glucose levels are every single day, I post it there. You can find those links at the Solving Type 2 Diabetes.com website. So yeah, it's the real truth. You can't fake it. You can't hide it. Now there are alternatives. You know, there are other things that I could do. For example, I could do traditional finger sticks. Now, that's where you draw blood, a little drop of blood, sometimes once a day, sometimes several times a day, and then you read it with a meter, and that gives you your blood glucose reading. Now, I personally don't like the finger sticks, so they hurt a little bit, and after a while, if you're doing this for years, you're going to be sticking your finger thousands and thousands of times. Even if you just do it, let's say, three or four times a day, that's 1300 a year. If you're doing this for 20 years, well, that's almost 30,000 finger sticks in your fingers. So I don't like it. The other thing you can do is A1C blood work. Now, right now I get one of those at my doctor's office every six months. Used to be when my blood sugar readings were higher, I would get one every three months. But now we back down to once every six months. Now, the A1C that you get at the doctor's office, that gives you a 90-day reading. So if you are getting them once every three months, that's about the same thing as wearing a continuous glucose monitor in that you are covering all your data points, but it's just an average for those three months. And if your eating is going off track or your medication stops working or whatever, you might not know about it until three or six months later because, you know, it's a 90-day rolling average. So whatever affects you, say, on January 1st, you might not know about until April. Well, now then you could have three months of very high or very low or wildly changing blood sugar. And it's certainly not as real-time as wearing a CGM. Now, if you want to do it more often than that, let's say you want to get an A1C test every single month. Well, insurance probably won't pay for that. But if you do want that more frequent data point, you can actually get an over-the-counter A1C test at pharmacies. I've seen them in several pharmacies. And you send in your results. You take your blood draw at home, just like you do sticking your finger for a normal finger stick. And you send in your blood sample and you get the results of the A1C. Now, doing it once a month even is actually cheaper than doing your CGM. I've seen A1C tests at like Rite Aid, my local pharmacy, for under 50 bucks. Now, there are some that maybe go as high as 100, but still, it's not unreasonable compared to the cost of a CGM. Now, I don't do that because even if I were doing it once a month, 
it's just giving me a three month average still. So even every month I'm getting the previous 90 days. Seeing what a particular food did to my blood sugar or what maybe a series of days of eating out in restaurants versus eating at home, seeing what that does, that's going to be impossible with even a monthly A1C test. It's just not frequent enough. For that, you need to be testing frequently and there's really only two ways to test frequently and that's with a CGM or a series of frequent manual finger sticks. Now, there is another alternative. And this is something I've seen recently. It's called, its company name is January AI, like the month January, January AI. And what they sell you is an app that tries to learn your reaction to foods and movement. So for this app, they say you only have to wear a CGM for two weeks. Okay, so that's one single 14-day continuous glucose monitor. And during those 14 days, you have to meticulously enter everything you eat, the time you eat it, the amount you eat it. I mean, perfectly track your foods, your medications, your movement. And then supposedly in that two-week period, it learns how your blood sugar reacts to what you eat, how you move, and your medication. Then after two weeks... It says you no longer have to use the CGM and that the artificial intelligence of the app will now tell you what your blood sugar in theory should be at any given moment based on what you're eating and how you're moving and the medications you're taking. Now, I think this is a little optimistic because just like we talked about in that earlier article, your body reacts differently as time progresses. And while it can track the macros that you're consuming and what your blood sugar reading was two weeks ago or a month ago or two months ago when you ate the same thing, for that to remain consistent over time, think you would have to recalibrate. And what if your medications aren't as effective as they used to be? What if your pancreas changes the production of insulin? What if, I don't know, a hundred different what ifs. The AI can only go back on what it knew before. And what I like to say is you know, past performance may not predict future results. I saw that on a mutual fund advertisement somewhere. But just because your AI recorded your blood sugar being a certain level after eating certain foods months ago doesn't mean that's really what's still happening. So I right now I'm still not convinced that this January AI thing would work. I mean, try it. And another thing you can do if you really want to try it is wear their CGM for two weeks and then continue to wear a CGM. Just don't log it in the app. Use a separate app to measure your CGM and see how they compare. Now, you're going to have to pay for the CGM. You're going to have to pay for the app because there is a monthly subscription for this app after even you stop using the CGM. But I don't know. You could test it out and see how that works for you. But I'm going to leave that one to other people. You could basically be your own AI if you want to go that route. I don't see why you would necessarily have to pay for the app and the AI. I mean, if you are perfectly tracking your foods, your medications, and your movement, like I sort of do, I don't track them perfectly because I have the CGM, but I know that if I eat about this many carbs, about this much protein, 
that my average blood glucose reading will be, you know, at a certain level. I'm thinking that if you kept your macros and your medications and your movement all the same, well, then you would reasonably expect your blood glucose levels to stay the same. Now, I don't think that's 100% true. But if you just wanted to be generally speaking, say, in the A1C of between 5 and 6, and you don't really care if it's 5.4 or 5.7, you just want to say, oh, between 5 and 6. Well, then you probably could do that if you did a really, really, really good job of tracking your food, your medications, and your movement, and then you kept it there. Well, reasonably, you would expect that if you were, in fact, wearing a CGM, it would continue to read about what it was reading before. So, those are some alternatives. Those are some reasons why you wear a CGM. Maybe things you can do instead of wearing a CGM. But for me, and right now, out of pocket with my insurance, I pay $75 a month for my CGMs. I'm going to keep wearing them. I just need that data. I need to feel comfortable that what I'm doing is really benefiting my health. All right, so your questions. We do not have any questions this week, but that's okay. I do look forward to getting your questions, though, because it does help me uh, do things like select topic ideas, make sure I'm addressing things that are helpful to you, and feel free to send me in a question, a comment, feedback on the podcast. It's all really appreciated. Now, there's two ways to do that. There's two ways to contact me. First, simply send me an email, tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. That's my direct email address and I can make sure I cover your question. The second way, and this is honestly how most folks do it, is they go over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and they click on feedback, and then there's a little form you can type in and send in your question or your comment or your podcast feedback, and I appreciate it. I look forward to it, and I'm really excited when I get those. So uh, be bold, be brave this week, and send in a question. For next week, on the podcast episode next week, I want to talk about my daily priorities in solving my type 2 diabetes. Now, there are things that I think you know I do every day, each week, but I want to talk about my priorities. What things come first? What are the most important things I want to make sure I do or don't do on a daily basis? And this is the nuts and bolts. This is the core of what I do to solve my type 2 diabetes. So that's up for next week, and I will talk to you all soon. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.